Good morning, Susie here to read our Bible reading, which is from Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1 to 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, Paul, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated, alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You, who, you are running a good race. You cut in on who, who to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will make no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Susie. Uh, good morning, church. How are you going? Good. I'll try again. How are you going? Good, great. It's so great. So much joy in the room this morning. Uh, so many children. I love that. Uh, my name's Matt, one of the assistant ministers here for at least another week. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. Um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I want to talk about Christian freedom this morning. Have you ever had an experience of a newfound freedom? Have you ever had an experience of a, a newfound freedom? Perhaps you remember when you were 16 or 17, you got your driver's license for the first time, and you were free to hit the open road. And I know all it ever ends up really being is driving yourself to school, um, kind of the opposite of freedom there. Um, or what about, you know, maybe you moved out of home for the first time, no one telling you what to eat, when to go to bed, um, what to do with your life, you can do whatever you want. Freedom. Uh, I was watching a movie just this week called Free Guy. Has anyone seen it on Disney Plus? Great film. I encourage you to see it. Um, this film is based on a very popular style of video game, so I'm told, uh, where characters, or you know, real human beings, have an avatar that can go into like a real life kind of world, like an open uh, map, and they live like in a city near a beach, and they can do whatever they want in that city. They end up stealing cars, robbing banks, and buying very cool sneakers. That's kind of what people want to do, apparently. And uh, anyway, there's this non 
player um, character in the game. So he's just artificial intelligence. He's meant to just be a part of the scenery. Uh, he's not controlled by a human being. And he's meant to be programmed just to do the same things over and over. You know, just walk up down a street. He works at the bank, that kind of thing. But anyway, during the movie, he becomes self-aware. And actually, he's set free. He gets this pair of glasses. He puts this pair of glasses on. And all of a sudden, he can see reality. He can see the fact that he's just stuck inside a video game. Um, and as a result, he realizes, well, hang on a sec. I no longer just have to wear this blue shirt. I don't have to drink the same coffee every day. I don't have to go to my mundane bank job. I can do whatever I want. He's free. He's set free. And he starts living completely different. He, he was this... You know, this artificial intelligence had this inkling that he was made for something bigger, but he puts on these glasses and he finally sees it and he experiences the reality of it. Paul says the Christian message, the good news, is kind of like putting those glasses on. Uh, you see that you don't have to live a certain way anymore. You realize actually you're created for something so much bigger and better. It changes the whole course and purpose of your life. The Christian is set free. Um, that's the big idea today. Christian, the Christian has been set free, so they should live freely. You should live freely. We should live freely. That's the big idea. So I want to ask some questions about that today with you. Is that all right? Uh, first question we're going to ask is, well, what is Christian freedom? Uh, what is this freedom that Paul is talking about? Paul says in verse 1 here, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What is Christian freedom? Uh, ten simple words there, five in the original language, and yet this one sentence is one of the most profound sentences in the whole of the New Testament. Most commentators say within it, it holds the indicative and the imperative of the Christian faith. In other words, it holds the, everything that's true, the facts of the Christian faith and the purpose of the Christian faith, what those facts mean for our lives, are all summed up in five words. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Um, the facts are you've been set free, and the purpose of that freedom is to live free. Profound verse. But I, I take it some of you sitting there, and maybe your friends, as you're reflecting on this verse, you think, now, this just sounds bizarre. Since when does Christianity equal freedom? Doesn't Christianity equal bondage or slavery? You think about it. You know, people know, think Christianity means something like, I can't have sex outside of marriage. Surely that's a constraint. That's not freedom. Or it means going to church. The list is getting worse as I go through it, right? It means going to church every Sunday. It means giving financially to a church. It means, you, in a sense, you have to believe in a God. Surely that's not thinking freely. Well, here's the big killer. People think being a Christian means... You have to live in such a way that would please God. You have to live in such a way that you can justify your life before God. You have to be a good boy or a good girl. Where's the freedom in that? You've lost all your freedom of doing what you feel like doing. You take your clues from a book. I'm sure you've read things like this in the papers, like I have, or on the news, or maybe in conversations with friends. If you suppress your sexuality, if you suppress... Uh, following every feeling and emotion that you have, if you don't act on those impulses, you will end up psychologically broken and you need to be rescued from that. 
You need to be released from an outdated psychology that's keeping you in bondage like that. That's the current Western view on Christianity, isn't it? So how, how does Christianity equal freedom? You know, I'll, I'll put it to you that often um, when, if any of you know my little boy, I've got a little two-and-a-half-year-old boy, he just loves singing the songs we teach him at home. Whenever I enter an elevator with him or we send him off to daycare, I know he's going to be singing, My God is so big! So strong, as, as loud as he can, he'll be singing, God's grace is bigger than space, his love goes on and on and on. And, and part of me thinks, oh, I wonder what people will think about me as a parent when they hear my son, you know, yelling these things out, singing these things out with all his heart as if it's completely okay to do that. I wonder if they'll think, you know, that parent's a little bit constrictive. They're holding that boy back from having freedom of thought, you know, letting him discover the world for himself. Uh, you know, they're choosing for him what he must believe in. Since when is Christianity freedom? Well, Paul is pretty clear about what he means, and he's spent four chapters, and all the letters in the New Testament are about this. And even here in our little passage today, if you have a look at verse 5, if you've got your Bible there, uh, Paul talks about this freedom. He says, note, just note here in verse 1, he says, for freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Point Paul points back to a past moment, and it's a singular moment in the past, to talk about where our, the source of our freedom, where our Christian freedom comes from and what our Christian freedom is. And he's talking about this one moment in history. He's talking, of course, about the cross of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ. What happened there that makes us free? Well, Paul talks in verse 5, he says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Righteousness is a key word there, a key word in the book of Galatians. It means to be made right with God. And what he's saying is that Jesus Christ on the cross, in the past, in that moment, his death on the cross has secured, for those who accept it, has secured rightness with God, right relationship with God. In other words, Jesus was held captive by our sin on the cross, so that we could be set free by his righteousness. Uh, Jesus was nailed to the cross under the judgment of God so that you and I could have the freedom of a life with God. How is the Christian free? Christ sets the Christian free from a guilty conscience. Our guilty record is gone and, and we're free from a guilty conscience before God. Uh, Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, he put it like this. He said, we're free from the eternal wrath of God. John Calvin, he said, the freedom of the Christian is the liberty of the conscience when placed before the tribunal of God. In other words, you're able to look at this past event that Jesus has done and you know you're right with God and you know it's true and now you're free to have a relationship with your creator, your redeemer, and your judge. That's the Christian freedom. You have a freedom of a guilty conscience. Now, what's, what's the alternative to that? Um, this is point number two. What's the, what's the alternative to that? What threatens our freedom? Uh, what is the experience of slavery that Paul is talking about? Now, you might think immediately this morning, you're like, well, why would I care about having a conscience free from guilt? I don't even believe there is a God. And so, whoosh, there goes any expectation, any burden that somebody might have. Well, Paul actually addresses this 
um, in this passage. And he actually says, actually, all of us are religious in a sense because all of us seek the approval, the belonging, a sense of justification for our lives or of existential meaning, no matter how you do it. We're all searching for that. We all want that. We're all looking for that. And, and interestingly enough, Paul says this is true even for people who don't believe in a God, who don't have any kind of religious or moral constructs around their life. Have a look at this in verse, we're still in verse 1. I promise you we'll get through this passage today. He says, do not let yourselves, he's talking to the Galatian church, these new believers, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now that's really interesting. It's really interesting that he says, do not let yourselves be burdened again. We have the letter of Galatians, the letter we're looking at as a church today, because Paul is writing to a church that has some Jewish Christians within it that are saying to new believers, outsiders, people who are not Jewish, as they come in, they're saying, hey, you need Jesus yet, but you also need to be right with God. You also need these Jewish moral and ceremonial laws, and then you'll be right with God. Um, and yet Paul writes to the Galatians, so they're, they're not Jewish. They, you know, Some of them might be pagan, maybe they've worshipped other gods, but certainly their way of life was in no way like moral like you and I would describe it. Even if they were following their religions, there was, they were probably promiscuous, even you know, practicing prostitution, believed in superstitions. Paul actually describes the way the Gentiles lived as simply they were enslaved to the basic principles of the world. That's chapter 4, verse 3. They were enslaved to the basic principles of the world. What he's saying, that could mean to certain traditions, certain philosophies, certain ideas, but it, it could also just mean that they just did what everybody else around them doing. They were very secular people. And yet Paul says, whether you're a Jew and trying to follow God's moral code, or whether you're a Gentile following the ideas of the world, without Christ, you're both in slavery. That's Paul's point. Without Christ, you're both in slavery. Because you have this insatiable desire to be loved, to be accepted, to be valued, to have some meaning and significance to your life. And you're in bondage because none of these things, whether you're trying to live a really good moral life or whether you're trying to just define life for yourself, define what's true for yourself and define goodness for yourself, an amoral life we might call it, whether you're moral or amoral, doing those things, none of them will save you, none of them will rescue you, none of them will release you from that struggle to find that desire because none of those things can fulfill it. Uh, perhaps for a second, for a day when you have success in either of those directions, you'll feel good for a moment but it will not last. You'll need to go back for more. Um, Paul says in, verses, in verse 3 onwards, he says, you can get circumcised. That's you know, the first step of becoming a Jew, the first step in following God's law. And you might feel good. You might get your spiritual ticket for a day. Actually, you'll feel really bad for about two weeks. But then you might feel good for a day. You might get your spiritual fix. But then you'll be obligated to keep the rest of the law because you've submitted to the law. You've said, this is how I make myself right with God. In the same way, if you try and, you know... Uh, Find your value and your worth in anything but Christ. Maybe it's, maybe it's the Willoughby way of living, the Willoughby lifestyle. Maybe it's money, maybe it's reputation, maybe it's what people think about you, your lifestyle, the kids, work, a particular political 
viewpoint, if he thinks that's what's going to make me a good person, a right person, have some value for my life, well, you might for a day find some success when something goes right, but you'll always need another hit. You'll always need to go back to it, and so you're enslaved. You know, I've used this quote before, but I'll, I'll use it again today. Madonna in, in a Vogue magazine, you know, the, the, the pop queen, she said this. She said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. See, she's searching for significance. This is what is always pushing me. I pushed past one spell of it, and I discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. She's enslaved to proving herself. And this is actually one of the applications for us, I think, um, from this passage is that Paul is saying, if somebody hasn't received the freedom that Christ gives, they are in slavery. And, you know, I often think, maybe we think people live in a neutral territory, where they're not worried about God and life and stuff. They're enjoying themselves. They're not thinking about this thing. They've got no worries. But remember what Paul says? He says, do not burden, be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that's just not a category for people saying you're either saved by Christ or in slavery. There's no other options. It's not just a category. But remember Pippi's illustration? To live without Christ, to have this burden, it's an intolerable thing. It's, it's, it's disagreeable. It's not a pleasant experience. Church, I think we need to have more compassion for the people around us who don't know Christ, who don't have the freedom that Christ experiences. Because they're, they're not experiencing a pleasant life. Not if you really ask them deeply. Then what we have to offer them is true freedom. I'll give you a little example of this. At Simply Christianity this week, one of our guests asked a, a great question, a helpful question for our, our night, but it was very honest and very self-reflective. I asked their permission to, to share this. But um, they came to the group and they said, look, I often lose sleep or I wake up distressed in the middle of the night because I'm unsure what's going to happen to me when I die. They said, I don't like sleeping. I'm scared to sleep because I'm afraid I'll die in my sleep. I don't know what's going to happen next. And they said, you know, because even though I'm trying to live a really good life now, there's this stuff in the past that I can't undo that, that I know God wouldn't approve of. You see what's happening there? I think that's a very common experience. And that kind of thing will steal your joy. What's happening there is that that person is relying on their goodness. On, they're relying on something they can achieve within their own strength to make them right with God. They're relying on something else than Christ. That will threaten your freedom. That will steal your joy. And it's an intolerable burden. You know, the Christian, on the other hand, I love what Paul says in verse 5. Um, he says, We eagerly await. We eagerly await. You know, you think about Judgment Day coming into the gods, the tribunal of God. The Christian smiles in the face of knowing one day that they will meet God because of what Christ has done. Not because of what they have done, but because of what Christ has done. The Christian can smile. You know, I, I actually think most problems in the Christian life, whether it's lack of joy, lack of freedom, lack of assurance, lack of confidence come from this. It comes from the fact that we're still trying to earn our freedom. We're still trying to earn our right place with God. 
Some people think Christianity is just about believing in God. No. Christianity talks about faith. Faith is about a trust. It's about an absolute reliance, a complete and utter dependence that Christ has set us free in the past. It might sound strange to you, but to the extent that you are willing to give up anything else to think you'll be right with God, to the extent that you're willing to give that up is to the extent that you will experience freedom. Let me say this this morning. Your experience of freedom is tied to your trust in Christ. Your experience of freedom in this life is tied to your trust in Christ. Uh, A friend of mine and I uh, traveled to New Zealand. I think it must have been 2014. It was before I was married. And um, in New Zealand, there's a lot of fun things to do, a lot of dangerous things to do, right? Uh, when we go there again, you know, you can explore for yourself. One of the things we did while we were over there was this giant swing over this huge ravine. The arc of the swing was like 300 meters, and the free fall at the beginning was 70 meters. And, uh, you know, a friend and I decided we would do this together. And as they were strapping us in, just before they let us go, um, I felt and I heard the sound of a large piece of Velcro coming loose off my back. And, and one of the supervisors goes, oh no. And then the swing dropped. Of course, I'm here to, today to tell you he was playing a practical joke. The effect, of course, was to raise my awareness of the absolute dependence for my life, I had on that harness. The connection to the rope was all that mattered. And, and you know, the, the joy in that ride came from to the extent that I knew that nothing else, nothing else was, was going to save me except for that rope. You know, it was a piece of steel, I'm sure. The more you see that your faith in Christ alone is where your freedom comes from your salvation comes from, the greater your joy and your pleasure, your experience of your faith will be. Your freedom is tied to Christ. To the extent that you're willing to trust him and let go of all other things is to the extent that you will experience freedom. But it's hard to let go of other things, isn't it? And one of the reasons is that there's many other voices in our life telling us not to. Um, Just before we get to kind of our third or fourth final point, what does freedom look like? I just want to take a moment to have a look at verses 7 to 12. There's this little section here that starts off with that metaphor of the running race and then it finished. I'm sure you all heard it with um, this. Paul says in verse 12, if you've got your Bible there, it says, As for those agitators or those people who are disturbing you, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I realized I cannot step down today without talking about this or else you know, it'll still be there in your mind. This is perhaps the rudest that the Apostle Paul gets in the whole New Testament. It's certainly very confronting. It could be a little bit off-putting. Some versions put it like this. They say, tell those who are disturbing you that I would like to see the knife slip. Another, And these are good translations, by the way. People aren't making this up. If only those who were upsetting you would make a complete job of this cutting business, then we should have no more trouble from them. Um. A good question would be, how do you maintain your freedom? How do you protect your freedom in your Christian life? How do you make sure you're trusting God so that you can enjoy your freedom? One thing is 
sure for Paul. He's protective of God's people. He wants to protect them and their freedom. He doesn't want any bad teaching in there because he knows it'll corrupt their freedom, it'll pollute their freedom, it'll contaminate their freedom. They won't have it anymore. The way that you protect your freedom is to remind yourself of the gospel, to have, to not let into your life any other teaching when it comes to your relationship with God than the gospel. You know, Paul in this passage, he starts in verse 1, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. And later on he says, God has called you to freedom. And I think he's kind of, he's equating this past historical event with God's calling. He's talking about God speaking to us. I think one of the questions we often have as Christians is, how do we know this is God speaking to me? How do I know how to live? The answer is, actually, God always speaks in line with the gospel. You've always, whatever you hear, whether it's at church, from this pulpit, whether it's from Christian friends in your connect group, your community group, after church, you've always got to ask, does this line up with what God has done for me in Jesus Christ? Because that is how we know we are free, and that is how we keep running the race. So our kind of final question here is, does this mean then, if I have this freedom of a guilty conscience, and if I know I've got it, well then, can I just do whatever I want? That's kind of an obvious kind of argument that could come from it, right? If I know that whatever I do, I'm guilt, I can do it guilt-free, can I then just live my life however I want? The gospel does seem to be a bit of a springboard for that, doesn't it? And you've probably heard friends maybe use it as a pretext for doing something you know is out of character with being a Christian. Um, some people might be tempted to rein in the gospel at this point and say, oh, it's not really about freedom. Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he explains what he knows is true about this Christian faith, the freedom that Christ gives. And he says, properly understood, the outcome of your freedom, the outcome of knowing you're guilt-free because of what Christ has done for you, and this might sound paradoxical, but the outcome of it is to be a slave and to fulfill the whole law. That's where Paul goes. Have a look at verse 13 through to 15. He says here, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. That word for serve there is exactly the same word as used for slavery beforehand. Uh, serve one another in, humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor and love yourself. Paul knows that faith produces love, that faith has an energy to it, and it produces love. That's, that's what it produces. And, and of course, Paul is saying it's, it's going to make you a slave to one another, a servant to one another. But it's different to being enslaved to fear. It's a slave that comes from love. It's voluntary. And he's saying the Christian will understand something like, well, heck, because I'm free, I can do whatever I want. That's true. But much more likely, and this is a bit of a litmus test as to how deeply the gospel has affected you, someone will say, I'm loved by God. I'm freed from a guilty conscience, freed from God's anger, and so I'm going to serve God. And they will put themselves in a position of voluntary service to others. Actually comes up in, in verse 6. 
Already Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is the thing about the Christian faith. Faith wants to express itself. And faith, Christian faith in God, in Jesus Christ, wants to express itself in love. You meet a brand new Christian, you meet a very mature Christian, you will not be able to hold back this faith expressing itself in love through them. They will want to serve you. Faith has an energy and it comes out. You know, I, as I reflect on it, I think this is actually my testimony of St. Stephen's. I think when I turned up, I felt like I had something to teach these people. Um, I am not sure I was ready for, I'm not sure I anticipated seeing what the life of faith looks like lived out in a community. Naomi and I have reflected on this. I, I think we have seen the freedom of faith in this church. We have seen faith expressing itself in love. You could all technically go and do whatever you want with this freedom Christ has given you. But you don't. At least most of you don't. There's a little challenge this morning. I don't know who does. And who, you, know. you use it to serve one another humbly in love. There are people here, I said this is especially true of the 745 congregation, but was, there are people in this church who have given tens and tens and tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of years. That's not an over-exaggeration. You can count all those tens later. Tens of years of their lives to the service of God's people in this church. Faith expressing itself in love. That's why they do it. Naomi, Leif and I are indebted to you for your help, for your, your help to us. Uh, meals, babysitting, prayers, thoughtfulness, assistance, care, conversation, friendship. The list is, is absolutely endless. Um, but here's the best, here's the real thing about that. We're not, you know, the meal helped. The meal didn't save our life. The meal helped. The babysitting may have saved our lives. <laughs> Certainly our marriage. But what we're really indebted to is what those things speak to. What that love speaks to. What that service speaks to. You know, a good question would be, well, why does God free us from guilt? Why does he cleanse our conscience? Why does he offer us freedom? Why, why live a, a, a free life? The reason is, is because it's an opportunity to be his child. God invites us to be his children. It's an opportunity to be like his son. And that is what we have seen in your service to us. You being who you were made to be. You being the bigger and better version of yourself that God is making you into. You being the true self. You being children of God. You know, in that movie, Free Guy, that I mentioned what the non-player character discovers, he discovers that there is something about his author inside of himself. His programming reflects his author, and he was made for love. I've just given away the whole film. God wants us to be free. God has, God has given us freedom because he wants us to be who we were made to be, and we were made for love. We were made for love with him. There's something about the author in us, and God God has given us freedom from a guilty conscience so that we can experience being a child of God, being made in his image. More than that, being like his son. You know at the end here where it says, you'll use your faith to become a slave and to fulfill the law. Who did that? That was Jesus Christ. You're going to become like Christ if you accept what he's done for you, 
freedom that he gives you, the freedom that he will give you is to become like him, like the divine son of God. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let me pray. Gracious God, thank you for freeing us from the guilt of our sin in Christ. Help us not to fall away from that. Help us not to trust in anything to earn our place before you, but the perfect place, the perfect relationship that your Son and only he can offer us and give us. So make us free. Help us to continue in our freedom by your grace alone. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.